mean, you've obviously worked with some bad CSOs. Yes. You've worked with some good CSOs. Mm -hmm. What are the characteristics of a good CSO? They care. Mm. That's it. They care about the business. Yeah, they care. Mm. I'll give you an example of uh, last bad CSO I worked with. <laughs> MSP, really big clients, outsourced their infrastructure, which is about 500 servers, and the company, the MSP, outsourced it back to IBM. This is my favorite story. <laughs> One of the requirements is Seam. And I go in there to take over the, uh, the InfoSec aspect. Go, what are we doing for Seam? Oh, that, that's been forked over to IBM along with the servers. Okay, but well, what are they actually doing? Don't know. It's been forked over, boxes tick, not worried about it. And, and that was it. But I was the first security guy to actually go to legal and, and uh, commercial and get the contracts. And uh, so I called up IBM and said, I'd like to know what you guys are actually doing with these 500 servers in terms of SIEM. What tool are you using? What are you logging? What are you correlating? Uh, who's doing it? Are they trained? Where's the data? What's the retention? You know, give, give me the details. And their immediate response is, um, hold on a minute, 500 servers. Because our interpretation of the contract is that the application, which is the terminology in the contract, means the web application. Ah, how many of these 500 servers are the web application? 18? This has been going on for three years. And I ask, because there's a clause in the contract that says, <coughs> if servers are end of life, they don't have to support them? Yeah. So I'm like, how many of these 18 servers are end of life and therefore unsupported by you? All 18. So I'm like, okay, so we've been paying you 25,000 pounds per month for the last three years mm -hmm. to monitor absolutely nothing and be in breach of contract the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Kudos to them because they're following the contract. Now, this was a year ago, and I know for a fact the CISO still hasn't addressed it. Put it on the carpet. And, that, and that's when I see CISOs... You not know, asking not the right CISOs. questions. Yeah. yeah, just lack of curiosity. Yeah. But also when I hear the argument, you know, there's a breach. Oh, it's not the CISO's fault. Yeah. Couldn't get the resources. First of all, if you really need the resources, you should... And this is what Joe said on another one of your yeah. podcasts. Yeah. You have to speak their language. You have to listen. You have to make it relevant to them. And yeah. I think communication is something where a lot of CISOs fail. Um, but... Yeah. They ask for more resources, but are you actually using the resources you have mm -hmm. properly? Because this CISO wasted 900,000 pounds of funding, and that was on SIEM alone. And mm -hmm. there were, you know, every other day was a similar discovery, although the numbers were smaller. Can you elaborate? When you say the um, CISOs need to communicate more, and you think that that's really important, explain what you mean by that. I think, because I, I think we, you know, uh, IT people are geeks, yeah. and security people are the geeks' geek and you can't go talking to a, a board like a geek. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you have to make it uh, simple to them, um, and you can't waste their time. We, you know, I, most people, most IT people and security people like to talk and explain and urgency. And the, no, no, it's gotta be, it's gotta be simple. You gotta, mm -hmm. Their time is valuable. And I guess every single person within the organization have got different agendas as well. Yeah, you absolutely, know. absolutely. You need to make sure that you're appealing to their yeah. agendas. And I think that's one of the reasons why integrity and reputation are so important. Mm. Um, because when you do go to the board, you don't want to be the boy that cries wolf. Mm. You want to be the guy that, hey, he always gets the job done. Yeah. I always hear positive feedback from him. He keeps me in the loop, but doesn't waste any of my time. Mm. Everything tells me he's doing a great job, mm. liked by everyone, respected by everyone and he's asking me for something now. 
So almost. I need to pay attention. So when you first, so if you first start in a CSO role, I mean, what's you've, one of the most important things you've got to do is you know, make yourself, you know, visible yeah. and create relationships with yeah. all of those people, all yeah. these stakeholders that are going to make a difference to, Absolutely. to your success. Absolutely. Mm. And um, you know, not you know, every department head. IT architecture, but the board as well. You want to take more time with them, I think. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think the end users are, are neglected a lot. Mm. Uh, I can remember one um, one case where it was actually the same company. There was someone that was disabled. Uh, they worked in a call center. They couldn't fit their headset over their hearing aids, so they couldn't use their hearing aids, and they really struggled to hear on the phone. And he had a device that you could plug into the phone and beam it directly into his hearing aids, but it used Bluetooth. Policy violation. I found out about this, I think, 50-plus emails between HR, legal, and security because it's a policy violation. You know, HR wants him to be able to do his job, and legal is afraid of getting sued because we're not accommodating his handicap. Yeah. And I'm like, has anyone ever spoken to him and know exactly how this device works? No. Okay, tell him to bring it into work tomorrow and give me a show and tell. Mm. So you go, go up to the floor with the call center in it. He said, nice guy. It's an old mill. Got brick walls this big is in the corner on the fourth floor. Yeah, there's absolutely no risk. I mean, nothing you can't jot down, or the mm. people around here on the phone hearing card details and, and bank details all day anyway. So, there's no issue there. 10 minutes closed, I'll get you an exception by the end of the day. I've just done something for him, took me 20 minutes of my time, but the 20 people around him saw me do it, mm. so they now perceive me in a very positive way and they treat me differently. Mm. And for every one of them, in the next couple of months, other people see them treat me differently. They start treating me the same way. They don't even know why. Got it. But all of a sudden, they know you're one of the good guys. They know you help people. They know you care. If you ask something of them, you're, you're far more likely to get them. Mm. I see organizations where you know, we struggle with GDPR for our, you know, our shipping staff, the guys in the warehouse. We can't get any traction. You couldn't have a chat with them. Within three minutes, you know their kids' names, their wives' names, their age, their date of birth, where how long they've been here, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Can you name me someone in security? No. Mm. So that, even, you know, even if they're low-level people, it helps. And especially if you want to build a very prescriptive information security framework, mm -hmm. it, it helps to find out what people are actually doing. Probably shouldn't be disclosing that information, should they, to you? <laughs> it's my job. You mentioned GDPR just in passing there. Yeah. Um, what has that meant? for the role of a CISO? I think it's empowered some CISOs, but my question has always been, why is GDPR an InfoSec concern? Okay. Because you need, now you need uh, encryption, you need secure storage, you, you, know, you, need, um, you need to know where data is, how it's, how the hell did you not know this already? I mean, if, if you had any organization of any kind mm -hmm. and you wanted to protect what was obviously sensitive data, yeah. Why didn't you have these controls? Mm. Like, forget about the fine. Just from a business perspective, <laughs> it made sense. You yeah. don't want to lose this. You don't want the reputational risk. You don't, yeah. you not don't enough want the business downtime. Not enough implication, perhaps, do you think, in the past? Do you think? I think, it's, um, I think that, that's where you start seeing like a disconnect mm. from IT and security and the business. Mm. Uh, yeah, because we, we do tend to hide behind our computers a lot. You know, it's mm. a user awareness. We just send comms and we expect people to... Yeah to do what we want them to do. But if someone from marketing tells us in security how to answer the phone, which font to use in our email, and how to format our signature, we tell them to start off. Yeah. If it was mandated of us, we'd do it for maybe a couple of days and then we'd start sliding off. Yeah. You know, psychologically, they have the same, if you don't engage them as people, 
their yeah. emotional commitment is the same. So if you don't build those relationships, you're not going to get anywhere. I think one of the things that would be really useful is um, for CISOs to have training on how to get ideas to spread. Because it's very difficult to get people to adopt ideas and to change the way that they operate. And I think sometimes the way that we go around this is too simplistic. As you rightly say, you just send an email around or yeah, you spend I, half an hour with them a month and, and, and you think it would change behavior, but well, it won't. Yeah, because I think culturally Very as complex. IT people, we're used to being behind the computer. Right. And that's our tool to communicate. Yeah. And, you know, our, our friends, uh, that's how we talk to them. And, you know, that's how we talk to our friends on Facebook and this and that. But, but that's not we, how you create change. It but, takes a, it's a, yeah. it's a process and there's a but lot have, involved. Yeah, that, involves, that's, yeah, that's talking. But, you know, your, your <laughs> friends on Facebook, you know them in real life, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so there's there's an underlying relationship. Yeah. And I can build that relationship, and then have communication over email. Right. But you know, they they True. know who I am. Trust me. Know I'm there for them. That's it. So yeah. So that's that critical step of actually, you know, developing trust with the people that you're trying to yeah. change I, behavior of. I think it's really basic leadership. But we're not yeah. used to that in IT because right. let's face it, when we were young. You know, we, we hid away from people sure. behind your computer because we like the computer better than people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, the computer does what I, what I want. It doesn't beat me up. That's the teenage years for a lot of us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's why I like the computer. How, how technical do you think a CISO should be? I think a good... I don't think it's the most important thing, to be honest. I, I hear this discussion a lot. Yeah. Does it have to be more business? Does it have to be more people-oriented, more technical? Um, I think being technical is very important, but I don't think it's the most important if I had to prioritize it. Because the, you do see a lot of technical CISOs, uh, but they're still going to struggle because everything's going to be great on paper, but the, the, the human aspect is going to be missing. Mm. Uh, but I also think it depends because the technical stuff, you can delegate it. You can delegate it. But mm. I'm surprised at how much... Um, there's a lack of technical skills in people even lower down. Like I, I find mm. like security analysts and you know, they know a firewall interface for a certain brand. And yeah. maybe this is why hiring practices are, we want X amount of experience for Palo Alto specifically, huh. but they don't actually understand how IP networking works and, and the stuff underneath it. And I feel like, right. how can you not have that yeah. foundation? Yeah. And uh, one example I saw recently was a, uh, a change request went through and it was to add a Samba share to patching infrastructure to add a ter terabyte of storage because they needed to update more, upload more patches to distribute. And so the change came through. Oh yeah, we want to add, uh, we want to install Samba so we can install this window share on this Unix infrastructure. And yes, everyone's happy, happy, happy. Security signs out happy. I'm like, hold on a second. What version of Samba? That's five years old. It's got two 10.0 CVE severity, remotely executable vulnerabilities on it. You've just compromised the entire estate <laughs> because that patching infrastructure has got root on everything mm, mm. and you've just made it remotely exploitable. They don't look into the details. Mm. And I, I see that a lot in, uh, in InfoSec managers. And I'm told, yeah, but it's just a management role. And I'm like, come on, guys. Mm. How many layers of people are we going to need? Uh, if, we, if we start slicing it too thin that you need so yeah. many people, you're just going to lose all visibility anyway. I think, we, I think we need way fewer people than we currently use because it's just costing us visibility and, and huh. nimbleness. So you think we need fewer people? I think we need fewer people. Yeah, the whole like, oh, we need uh, 
uh, information security skills gap. Now, there are, there, there's a skills gap. I think it's leadership skills and that kind of thing, and people being too narrowly trained in individual skills. But in terms of body count, there's no skills gap at all.